Welcome to the Everything Early Childhood podcast designed for approved providers, nominated supervisors, and other childcare leaders. This fun, lighthearted, and very serious podcast features weekly episodes on strategy, advice, and conversations with fascinating and inspiring people from across our sector. Join the journey and have access to the tools and inspiration you need to create high-performing childcare businesses. Let's get started. Hello, friends, and welcome back to another episode of Everything Early Childhood, where we explore topics, trends in the world of early childhood education. I'm your host, Lisa Brown, and today we have a very special guest joining us, Phil Wolf, um, the Director and Workplace Wellness Expert from Connects Health. Um, Phil has dedicated the last decade of his career to designing and implementing health programs for a diverse range of companies from the bustling headquarters of Australia's largest banks and challenging gold mines in Papua New Guinea. His expertise in workplace wellness makes him the go-to person for creating tailored programs that deliver positive return on investment every single time. So Phil knows firsthand the incredible value that workplace health programs bring to both companies and the people who work in them. In fact, it's become his life's mission to make these programs so effective that every company in the world will embrace them. So let's get ready to delve into the world of workplace well-being and wellness as we uncover the secrets to fostering a healthy, thriving workplace. So welcome, Phil. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Liz. That was a that was a great intro. I might uh, I might take that and just put that on my LinkedIn. That was great. Oh, you're very welcome. <laughs> um, awesome. So, tell us a little bit about how did you get involved in workplace wellness, and I guess what sparked your interest in supporting professionals in this area. Yeah, it's it's something that I've been interested in for for quite a long time. So, I started out as I'm an exercise physiologist, and I've always been very, very interested in health. I grew up in a house that was very health oriented. Uh, my father was a professional athlete uh, and a PE teacher. So we we always knew the ins and outs of nutrition and exercise and we were very, very active. So I always had this really vested interest in it. Uh, I knew that I wanted to study something health related. So I went to exercise physiology, um, started out in clinical practice, injuries, chronic illness, elite conditioning, those sorts of things, which I liked. But what I found was, I mean, obviously when people come to you, they're already sick, they're already injured, they're already really far down the path of, of dysfunction, which is not an issue. I mean, people need help when they're, when they're suffering from dysfunction. But when I came across workplace wellbeing, what I found was we had – this incredible access to such a wide population of people. So you go into a company with 200 people, Mm. some of them, yes, are going to be sick, some are going to be injured, but the majority of them aren't. Some of them are on the verge of that or some of them are still healthy but on a downward decline. Some of them you can help to be even healthier. So it was this captive audience that we can get to before they feel like they actually need the help need the assistance, which in my mind was the ultimate in preventative healthcare, the ultimate proactive well-being strategy. So I've yeah, dedicated the last 12, 13, 14 years, whatever it's been, uh, to, to accessing this group of people because I, I really believe that it's it's the future of 
proactive healthcare. So it's yeah, my passion. It's what I love doing and it's what I'm going to keep doing. Love it. And I can hear that passion just coming out in you and see your eyes just light up when you're talking about it. What are, I'm interested to know, what are some of the common trends that you're finding um, when you're meeting people in regards to, I guess, identifying those uh, original ideas from where that wellness and well-being comes into place in order to put that proactive measure in place? Yeah, so it's different uh, from companies to people. Yeah. But companies are just made up of people and everyone has everyone is very very different but they all have similar traits so what it boils down to for most of us is getting the fundamentals of our health right i mean there's i was actually i was at the um the fitness expo a few weeks ago just checking it out and what struck me what i've always thought is there is so much um crap out there there is so much stuff that's being jammed down our throats through instagram through facebook through the internet and through these pseudo experts that we need to buy we need to do this we need to do that we need to buy these reiki mushroom drops and it's going to change your life but essentially our health and well-being is 90 to 95 percent the absolute basic fundamentals that we all know but aren't doing so it boils down to what we're eating, how long we're sleeping, uh, how much we're moving and in what ways we're moving, uh, how stressed we are and how we manage that stress in ourselves. So really what well-being boils down to is those core fundamentals. If we can get those right, then we're going to be, we're going to be healthy. We're going to be well. If we don't get those things right, then no amount of mushroom liquid drops are going to save us. So that's that's really what we've got to do. We've got to boil it down to the basics and get our habits right. And if we do that, then, yeah, we're going to find it very difficult to be unwell. Yeah, I totally agree. So when somebody is, I guess, at a heightened state and so we come back to those four fundamentals and they're in, I guess, that stress and looking at that stressful state, how is it all, how would you recommend that people go back to focus on those fundamentals when they're already in that stress heightened state? Yeah, great question because that is so, so many people and there's so many people that we see. Everyone is, everyone manages it differently, everyone approaches it differently, but basically it's just making it as simple as possible. When we, when we tend to think about our health, if we're, if we're down a track that we don't want to go down, if we're feeling unwell, we're feeling unhealthy, we're in that heightened state that you mentioned, we tend to think that we have to change everything. We've got to immediately start eating perfectly. We've got to start going to the gym five days a week. We've got to change absolutely everything about our lives. Now, that works for about a week and a half. It never, ever, ever works long-term. I've done over 25,000 individual consults. I've never seen a full life overhaul stick for very long, for any, for long enough to make it meaningful. So we don't need to change everything. We just need to change one thing. So pick one thing, make it as simple as humanly possible and dedicate yourself to that one thing. Now, it's different for everyone. But something that's really, really universal to usually universal. I'm speaking obviously in generalities, but 
movement, getting more movement is absolutely key. And if we can focus on that first and foremost, it starts to, that's the piece of the puzzle that is the one we need to build things around it. So if you can start a, a habit of moving more for 10 minutes a day and you're doing that every single day and you're making it a priority, you're doing it rain, hail or shine, then things start to blossom around that. You start to increase that time. You start to increase that intensity. You start to eat better around that. You start to sleep better at night so you have more energy, so you increase uh, your dedication to it. It's, it's just about finding one thing to do better that you can do every single day, not everything, just one thing. That would be, that would be my advice if you... If you want to turn things around, focus on one thing and dedicate yourself to that. I love that. So just focus on one thing at a time because it's true. Like I'm an all or nothing kind of person. So I'll be yeah. like, all right, get my diet in place, get this in place. And clearly it's like working for me, but um, it's it, I'm down to your 25,000 people that it's not working for. Um, but yeah. how would you recommend? So you're, And I love that. Start with movement and everything else will fall into place. Um, do you have any tips or ideas with like, is, do you, is it motivation or habit? And um, how do you encourage that to be part of that everyday process? Yeah, it's it's not so much motivation. Uh, motivation is by very definition fleeting. We'll get peaks and troughs of it. And if we rely on motivation, then we're never, ever going to make it stick. It's habit and it's willpower, aka discipline. So by making it as simple as possible, we make it really easy to do. And there's there's two ways, there's two things that we've got to have in mind when we're creating a habit. We have our ideal and then we have our absolute bare minimum, our non-negotiable. So if our ideal is half an hour, uh, a half an hour run every day, then our non-negotiable bare minimum might be put your shoes on and walk to the end of the street on back. So no matter what is going on in your life in that day, hopefully you've got half an hour to run. But if you don't, you always have time to put your shoes on and walk out of the house. And back. Mm-hmm. So what that does is it is it solidifies in your mind that this is a habit that we do every single day. doesn't matter what's happening. We always go for our inverted commas run, yeah. even if that run just means walking out of the house and coming back in. So you never, ever break that habit streak. And then what you'll find is that more often than not, you're going to go closer to the ideal. But always, always, you're going to do your non-negotiable. And it seems it seems absolutely ludicrous. How can walking to the end of the street and back make me a healthier person? Well, it's establishing it in your brain as a habit and it's creating discipline around that habit because discipline is it's an absolute superpower in, you know, in an increasingly undisciplined world if we can build that discipline around it, then that's that's our absolute goal. So make it as simple as possible, as easy as possible, and something that you absolutely cannot, you can't reason yourself out of doing it. That's how easy that it has to be. Could be walking to the industry, could be one push-up, could be one squat, something that you can't possibly go, no. Nah, I don't have time for that. Mm. So have your non-negotiable and your ideal and always, always, always do your non-negotiable. 
Yeah, well, that's what they say the hardest thing is getting started. So I guess when you yeah. break it down and make it really simple and just do that yeah. one first step, um, it, yeah, it then makes it easier to get started. Yeah, and and the same goes for once you're in motion. Like a body at rest will remain at rest until acted upon by the forces. A body in motion remains in motion until acted upon. So mm. if you can get started, it's easier to keep going. Mm. If you're not doing anything, then it's easier to not do anything. And how do you not beat yourself up? Because I think, do you agree, and maybe it's a question for you, but with wellness, like if you have certain situations or circumstances when it comes to, um, you know, building that discipline and willpower that you legitimately can't do it or do something that is your non-negotiable, what's your advice with not beating yourself up and actually like once you do stop, how do you get back on to that being a non-negotiable? Yeah, that's a really good question too because, I mean, sometimes things are going to happen. What if you injure yourself or something like that? It's about deploying self-kindness in those situations. So first of all, being mindful of why you can't do it. And if the answer is just, I don't want to, then potentially your non-negotiable is too hard because it has to be something that is so easy that you can't possibly say, I don't want to. Um, and being mindful of the reasons behind why you aren't able to do it and then deploying some self-kindness saying, okay, I can't do it because I have twisted my ankle. If I hadn't twisted my ankle, I would do it and that's perfectly okay because often even just the act of wanting to do it and thinking about doing it and the reasons, having a real reason why you can't do it will in some ways maintain that habit loop. So being mindful of the reasons that you're not doing it, adjusting if it's too hard and deploying some self-kindness because, yeah, you're right, we often do beat ourselves up. We say, oh, you're just lazy, you're stupid, why aren't you doing this? You should, you should know this, you should be able to do this. That's not helping us. That's not helping anybody. So being kinder to ourselves, I think that's, um, that's something we could all do in, in all areas, I suppose. Yeah, give ourselves a bit of self-compassion and like you said, that kindness, yeah, just to keep going because I think once you start beating yourself up, then it sets you back even further and then you're less likely, I I don't know if it's a brain um, sensitivity or whatever, but you're less likely to go back to it because that then is that feeling of, you know, that negative feeling rather than that positive feeling. Yeah, exactly right. And as well, trying to, well, always celebrate it in yourself when you do that thing. So if you do your non-negotiable, yeah. celebrate yourself, say, well done, that was fantastic. I'm proud of you, you've done great today. And if you then go on to do your ideal, celebrate it again. Say, that was fantastic. You did your ideal, that's really, really great. This is this is propelling us further, this is progress. And every single time you do that, you celebrate. So it's, it's a positive thing. It's not beating ourselves up and not doing it, it's celebrating ourselves for doing it. Yeah, love that. And it's something I'm actually interested in asking you about um, celebrations in general, because I find as a sector, and it's something even myself, like I get really stuck on like a wall, that as a sector, we really focus on propelling ourselves forward and improving our quality, improving our quality, like the next thing, the next thing, the next thing, rather than actually looking back, seeing how far we've come and celebrating that journey along the way. Do you have any advice or suggestions around whether it's personal or professional with how we can celebrate um, achievements? Yeah, absolutely. And 
what we've seen through the research is that recognition is one of the most powerful motivators that we have. It, it ranks above money. It ranks just above flexibility in work, which also ranks above money. So that recognition coming from superiors, coming from colleagues, coming from the people close to you is extraordinarily powerful, but it's also extraordinarily powerful coming from yourself. We tend to, we tend to value the opinions of the many, the close and the powerful, and there is no one that is closer to us than ourselves. And we do believe the things that we tell ourselves. So being again, being mindful of how far we've come, taking time to look back and say, okay, potentially I'm not at my goal or where I thought I would be at this stage, but look how far I've come already. Six months ago, I was here and now I'm here. This is fantastic progress and I should be very proud of myself for that. So taking time, whether it's scheduled in or whether we do it ad hoc, taking time to look back and recognize how far we've come. And as, as a colleague or as a leader, uh, definitely taking that time to say to people, you're doing a great job. Uh, thank you for this. Thank you for that. Just a little bit of recognition. And there's actually, there's an exercise uh, that we like to do because a lot of people, a lot of leaders will say, no, our people know that they're doing a great job. Like it's, it's just, it's implied that nothing, nothing is implicit. It needs to be said. And the exercise that we do is we have a, a list of, um, of comments and the comments are, you're doing a great job. Um, you've come really far. I'm really proud of you. I'm so glad that you're on our team. And the exercise is imagine someone that you really, really respect. Now imagine that person is saying those things to you. How do you feel? And how would you have felt if those things had remained unsaid? Then imagine you saying that to someone else. That's how they feel. So recognition, congratulations, celebration should never, we should never think that they're implied. They need to be said sincerely and often. It has, a, it has an enormous impact. And my goodness, it is free. It is free, it is quick, it is simple, and it is one of the most impactful things that we can do. Love that. And it's so true. And even going back, I know that someone suggested like doing a handwritten note, even like has that, you know, can have that impact as well for our visual learners that need to see it rather than the auditory ones that need to hear it as well. Um, but I love that. I think like break it down, look back to see how far you've come, really taking your time and just, yeah, giving that constant feedback and recognition. Yeah, it's, it's more powerful than we realise. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, I love the exercise that you said. I was like, yeah, like I'd love for someone to say that to me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's a very, very simple one, but it really drives it home because when you do imagine someone that you really respect saying that, like, oh, my God, that's, uh, that would be really cool. But what do you do as a business leader like or a business owner where you don't have anyone sort of like above you and you're in charge of yourself, you're in charge of your own time? How do you seek that recognition? That's a difficult one. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a little bit of self-validation, um, celebrating those wins in yourself. Yeah. Um, I would also really strongly recommend that 
if someone is looking for that or feels like they need it, they find a mentor. I think it's a really, really powerful thing. And a lot of people are more than happy to be a mentor. So find someone who is in the position that you want to be in in the next five or 10 years and ask them if they will mentor you. If they'll take you under their wing, you'll learn an enormous amount and that gives you that that person that you can look up to and that can help you to celebrate those wins and give you that recognition that you're after and give you a bit of a kick up the bum when you need it. It's, yeah, a really important thing. None of us are ever up so high that um, that we can't look up to someone else. So I would, I'd highly recommend that. I think more people could, could benefit from that for sure. Yeah, I think so. I mean, look, I've had a coach um, for the last sort of five years as well. And it is true. Like some of the things that like she actually makes me at the start of every session and she goes, Lisa, I don't do this with everyone, but you don't see your wins. So at the start of every session, we have to like, I have to have five wins from that month. And that's where I start every single session because sometimes we don't even stop to see them. Yeah, and I actually think that's a that's a wonderful strategy for people to to do. Look back on the last month or the last week and write out five of your biggest wins. And that's that's a great thing to do. And then when you're feeling a little bit down, go through your diary and uh, oh my god, six weeks ago I did this and I did that and I was crushing it. And I can get back to that. So it's yeah, I think that's a great strategy. Very simple. So simple. And we've got two other ones that we do as well. We have um, in services, we have like bad day books. And what they are is they're legitimately filled with all of the um, recognition, comments, all of the beautiful feedback that we've got from families. So whenever you're having a bad day, you just get the bad day book out and read through that. Um, And then, isn't it awesome? It it really works. Um, And then for us, obviously, all of our client comments, we've got in um, in a love folder. So when we're having not such a good day we look through yeah the love folder and look at all the beautiful comments with all the amazing people that we've helped that's really really cool yeah i've heard of a similar strategy where someone will get their loved ones to write on a piece of paper something nice about them beautiful put it into a bowl and yeah when they're having a a bad day just take one out and read it and that's yeah it's really cool what do you do what do you do when you're having a really bad day when you find that you know your wellness is sort of your 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 tank's empty you've got nothing left um how do you bring it back from that place yeah it's a very good question i have a few strategies that i use um first of all my partner is very very supportive Um, i'm extremely fortunate in that um i've got a really good close group of friends um that I can talk to that there's a, there's a chat group um, that I'm part of guys I went to, uh, to primary school with and routinely we will ask each other if everyone's doing all right, which is pretty cool. And I think not as common as it should be, but if I'm having a really bad day, I will stop everything rather than butting my head up against the wall. I'll stop, uh, close the laptop, go for a walk usually um, that that helps a lot. I'm fortunate to live not too far from the beach, so go for a walk along the water, come back, and I will sit on the couch and watch TV shows or movies. It always centres me, calms me down, and it's something I enjoy doing. And then essentially I'll go to bed early, close the book on that day, say, okay, today wasn't the best. Um, I'm going to learn from it and 
I'm going to have a good sleep. When I wake up tomorrow, things are going to be much better. And I'll wake up at, at my right time. Um, usually won't let myself sleep in because that's going to compound it. I'll exercise and then I'll get, st- get stuck into the day. It's It works almost every time. There are some times where it doesn't. But, yeah, just breaking it down to the fundamentals that I know work for me. Everyone's going to be different. For some mm. people, sitting on the couch watching Netflix, that's gonna that's not going to help at all. That's going to be the worst thing they can do. They should get out and speak to people, talk to friends, go play some basketball or something. But I've worked out what works for me, and then I give myself that, even in high-pressure situations. Yeah, I'll usually stop and go back to the things that work for me. Yeah, and I think like it's important to really identify at what point you need to stop because I'm I'm not sure about you, but like you know, high performers and people out there, they just keep pushing through. Yeah, and it's something that we see all the time, and this is this is a topic that we talk on uh, a lot. High performance does not mean always being on and always putting in a hundred percent. It's it's quite the opposite. So. Athletes have known this for a very, very long time. You work hard for short bursts of time and then you recover. And it's in your recovery that your gains that you've made are compounded. So in the gym, lifting weight, that's not where you get stronger. That's where your muscles actually break down. You tear them. In your recovery, they knit back together stronger. And that's that's where the gains come from. That's where your strength comes from. So putting in bursts of performance and then giving yourself adequate recovery is the secret to performing highly for a long period of time forever essentially if you're giving yourself that right rest and recovery and that comes down to our sleep comes down to our nutrition our exercise and being mindful of how much work you actually can do uh, sustainably that's that's what it's all about what sort of performance can you sustain over a long period of time. There, there are definitely going to be times where we've got to work harder and burn the candle at both ends, but that can't be the norm. Mm. But it is for most people, for a lot of people, and that's why we're seeing 70% of people experiencing moderate to severe symptoms of burnout. It's unsustainable. Isn't that just the topic of the season, burnout? Oh, God, oh, yeah. Every single podcast, every single conversation, the word burnout. What, what's, your, um, what's your take on burnout? What is it? Like, yes, what is it? Yeah, it's essentially people working. It's, it's multifaceted. We can't just point to one thing and say that's it. Like it's, yeah. it's lack of recognition. It's lack of autonomy. It's lack of flexibility. It's... Um, it's physiological, it's mental, it's spiritual even. It's so multifaceted and it's different for everyone that you're never going to be able to point the finger and go, that's it. Yeah. But essentially what it comes down to is working in a way that is sustainable for us and giving ourselves what we need in order to do that in the in the long term. So I know it is it's almost a buzz term at this stage. Oh, I uh, agree. Yeah. Saying, yeah. I'm burnt out or I'm burning out or this person's burnt and I Is heard, all, I heard, yeah. a, I heard a really beautiful explanation of it the other day, and I'm so happy that you said spiritual, 
Because I think, you know, is burnout that your spirit has been broken? Like, you know, you, you're trying and you're pushing and you're pushing to make a difference or do something, but you're not getting the recognition. You're not like the time you're being maybe micromanaged. You're not getting the time and you're not getting that setback. So I, I, I really believe, is it actually not you're overworked and overloaded, but that your spirit is just broken? In a lot of cases, yeah. And what what they found through the research is that entrepreneurs burnt out less whilst working more hours than mm. people uh, working for companies, particularly if they didn't have a purpose. So purpose is yes. enormous, and I think that speaks exactly to what you're saying. Yes. Having a purpose to drive towards protects enormously against burnout. If you're, if you're doing a monotonous, low-value task that means nothing to you, you will burn out in far, far less time than you will if you're doing something high pressure that really matters to you. Mm. So that's that's what I mean when I say it's multifaceted. You can't just point to the amount of hours that a person is doing and say, oh, that's going to burn out. 50 hours a week, 60 hours a week, that's going to burn them out. Or maybe not. Mm. It might it might do if they don't care about what they're doing, but yep. it might actually fuel them if they do really care deeply. And yeah, some people are saying I'm burning out, but yeah, well, you're sleeping four hours a night. I mean, we could probably point to that. You're probably just overtired. You're not burnt out. You're just exhausted because you haven't prioritized your sleep, or your nutrition, or movement. So yeah, it's it comes back to getting yourself the right fundamentals, getting the fundamentals right, covering correctly. But yeah, having a having a purpose and caring deeply about what you do is an enormously protective factor. And I think also having a leadership team that really appreciate you for what you do and let you do what yeah. you're good at as well. Um, and coming back to what you said about recognition. Yeah, absolutely. And recognizing, yeah, leaders leaders bear a lot of this burden. And the, the research has also found that managers are just as important as a spouse in in people's mental health. And leaders recognizing that people are people and that they're adults who have been hired to do a job, not children that need watching every minute of the day. Uh, and giving them the autonomy and the flexibility to do that work properly, yeah, that's a that's a huge factor. A lot of it comes back down to to leadership. And do you have any tips for what leadership can, or what questions the leaders can ask their people to check in with them on their wellness status and how they're going? Yeah. So again, it'll be different for everyone, but one of the most impactful things we found is it doesn't so much matter what you ask. It doesn't and how you sort of ask it. It's just that you are asking. So a lot of leaders will shy away from asking people how they're doing because they feel unqualified. They feel like, oh, I'm going to stuff this up. I don't know the exact right thing to say. But if you're asking genuinely and with empathy, it's really, really tough to stop. So everyone, the conversation will be different with everyone, but what we found is that if leaders are asking with empathy, with genuine curiosity, and they're doing it regularly, at least once a week, the the results of that are staggering. Uh, that communication, that open communication without judgment is 
means everything to people. And that's how you find find and mitigate issues before they become enormous problems. So that would be my advice for any leader. Doesn't matter what you actually ask, doesn't matter how you ask it, just ask with empathy, genuine curiosity and uh, curiosity rather, and ask regularly. That's the important thing. Yeah, beautiful. So, like, how are you? Are you okay? Um, yeah. Like, we say what's going on for you in your head and your heart because then it relates to, obviously, work and home. Um, what do you do in situations that um, you know something's going on with someone and you don't feel like you're the right person to be for them to be speaking to and you know the conversation's potentially going to go on for four hours and they're going to end up in tears? So what is, what's your advice in those situations? You want to be there, you care, you're very genuine, but at the same time we also have our work to do. Yeah, of course. Um, it's good to have someone in an organisation that is good at those things. Um, you can ask a colleague to approach them. And one, one thing that's really, really been sort of a key to unlocking that is offering up examples of your own experience. And if someone, someone sees that you're prepared to be vulnerable, um, that you're genuinely asking because you care, they're more likely to open up. If you don't have the time for that conversation, then yeah, that's a tough one. I mean, if you feel like this conversation is going to be a four hour one, then you, you must have a reason for that. And I'd be you're drilling down on what makes you think that. Because um, there's obviously something going on there. And if that conversation is going to be four hours and someone's going to break down, then I think that conversation needs to be had. Yeah. Because the problem is not going to go away. Mm. And you can't just sweep it on the run and go, oh, no, they're going, to, they're going to take too much of my time and I've got these reports to do. That's, yeah, that's a member of your team that's obviously struggling. Well, that's a red flag. Well, yeah, yeah, big time. I think if you don't have time to have those sorts of conversations with your employees, then, yeah, that's a, that's a tough spot. That is a change. Yeah, and I think having um, systems and processes set up so that you have time for that because I find that, um, you know, services and companies that we go into and, and I'm sure you find the same is that when there are systems and processes set up for those check-ins, people will generally anticipate and expect those check-ins. So they will wait until that happens. Whereas with the companies that don't have any type of system or check-in, everyone's quite on edge. It's very... Um, you, you feel it in the air that something's not quite right. So if you've got those um, anticipated and consistent systems um, to check in, it's much easier. Exactly, exactly right. And that goes back to the frequency of those checking. If you're doing it regularly, then, yeah, people can, can I suppose, regulate the amount of information that is going into each one. So yeah, don't get those four-hour conversations. You'll get 10 minutes here, 20 minutes there, 45 minutes there. Problems when broken down are much, much more. Yeah, absolutely. So, Phil, how can you help people? How can they reach out to you? How do you help them? How do you work with businesses? Paint me a picture. What does it look like? <laughs> That's another good question. Um, so, essentially, we design and implement uh, health strategies and programs for businesses. We do work with individuals. Um, it's a very small part of our business, but we, we do. 
So essentially what we do is we work bi-directionally. We work with the employees of an organization and help them to improve their health and well-being skill set to help them to be as healthy and well within the parameters of their environment, their circumstances. And then at the same time, we work with that organization to improve the parameters to make it easier for people to be healthy and well. So individually helping the, the staff, the employees, and as a whole, helping the company to make it easier on the staff, um, make them healthier to make them to improve those systems that they work in. Um, that looks different for every company. There's no two programs that we have that are exactly the same. Um, essentially, it's us going in there, speaking with the companies, finding the health gaps, finding what work, uh, what resources they have available, and then essentially designing a program that sits across that. That's, that's where we work best. That's what we do best. Uh, and the way we do that is through our workplace wellbeing specialist. So it's, a, it's an experienced person that will come in and make those assessments, uh, have those conversations, help the company to design a program and then work with their employees. It's, it's what I see as the future of workplace wellbeing. Every company will have access to wellbeing specialists so they don't all have to be internal experts at these things. They don't have to be up on the latest legislation and regulations because they'll have their own well-being specialist to bounce things off and to help them facilitate their well-being program. So that's what we do. It's where I see workplace well-being going. I mean, I, I really, really hope so because it's the most impactful way to do this. Um, I've been doing it for a long time and this is the best way. So that's that's what we do. If there's a better way, then I'll do that. If there's a better way to do that. And I love it because at the end of the day, like particularly for us in the early childhood space, we're in the people business. And the more that people invest in their people, the more that their people or their clients, the parents and the children, you know, benefit from having happy people. That's exactly right. And we know in ourselves when you're feeling well and you're feeling healthy, you're just better at everything. Yeah. You're a better friend, a better partner, a better worker, a better citizen a better customer of the bakery down the street whatever it is you're just a happier healthier well-adjusted person and that that bleeds through into everything everything that we do the interactions that we have so if you can look after the people who work for you they will literally look after everything else it is so true so true. Awesome. Well, thank you so, so much for sharing all of your valuable insights with us today on workplace wellness. It's been an absolute pleasure having you. And I'm sure we've only like just tipped the surface um, on this amazing topic. We could absolutely talk about it all day. Um, but before we wrap up this episode, where can people find you to connect with you further? So they can either email me at phil, P-H-I-L, at connectshealth.com com.au k-i-n-e-x health um they can go to our website connectshealth.com.au but honestly what i'd what i'd recommend is they find me on linkedin uh, phil wolf p-h-i-l-w-o-l-double-f-e because through that you can message me directly and better than that you can see everything that we do we post on there literally every day uh, five days a week it's got everything, everything you want to know about workplace wellbeing, about what we do, about how we do it. Yeah, that's that's us in the open, basically. 
So if you like what you see on our LinkedIn, reach out. We'll start the conversation because even if even if we can't help you, which is rare, uh, you're going to get something out of it. So that's what I'd recommend. Find me on LinkedIn. Yeah, and I'm loving your content on LinkedIn. It's awesome. Oh, thank you. Yep, exactly <laughs> how fun. we found each other. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's that's how I connect with most people. I reckon ninety percent of the people that I now work with was through LinkedIn. I didn't know them before. So yeah, it's a, it's a powerful tool. Yeah, and to build that network and connections. Awesome. Well, we'll have to do it again and we'll have to delve a bit deeper. Um, But to everyone else, I hope you found this discussion on workplace wellness enlightening, inspiring. And as always, if you have any questions on this topic or any others that you would like us to cover in the future episodes, please reach out to us. We're here to serve you and provide you valuable content each and every week to our beautiful early childhood community. But thank you once again for tuning in to the Everything Early Childhood podcast. Until next time, keep making every moment count. Thanks for listening to the Everything Early Childhood podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. We read them all. (laughs) To catch all the latest from me, your host, Lisa Brown, you can follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Lisa Brown underscore Platinum Ed. Thanks again for listening. Keep making every moment count and I'll see you next time.